the Oxford Dictionary defines the word inadequate as an indication of being unequal or insufficient for what the task requires. And when I read that, I'm like, man, that's pretty spot on with how I feel sometimes, you know. I feel like I'm insufficient for the task at hand, or I feel like, man, I just don't quite measure up. And so I felt that when I read that. Maybe you feel that too. But the enemy loves to use this fear of inadequacy to keep people sidelined from doing anything for God. He uses this tactic to primarily keep us focused on ourselves. That's really the tactic here because when we focus on ourselves, we begin to actually doubt God and it causes us to neglect our responsibilities. It causes us to neglect our giftings. It causes us to neglect the thing that we're called to do and our cause and our passion. So how do we renew our minds? How do we think correctly in line with how God sees us? So let's go to scripture to discover that today over in 1 Corinthians. We're going to go to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul is in sequence dealing with a number of issues that he had heard about that the church at Corinth was dealing with. And he opens up his letter here and he's trying to help them to come together. Because the church is divided over a number of things and he goes through there systematically and you can read through 1 Corinthians and see how Paul is addressing these things throughout the church. But the first thing that he wants to deal with is this idea um, of division. So let's read over in 1 Corinthians starting in verse 26 and this is what Paul says to them. He says, for consider your calling brothers, Do not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Here Paul is trying to set the table to help them understand we don't need to be thinking ourselves higher than we should because he said a lot of you guys, man, it's not like you're of great nobility and it's not like you're super well educated and people are looking to you to be able to articulate all of the, you know, things that, that, that people would just be impressed with the words you're using and the way that you're just waxing so eloquently. He said, no, you guys didn't come with this type of wisdom of this age, wisdom of people who others would be attracted to, man, to really hear what they had to say. That's not how I came to you, and that's not who you guys are, because the point is for people's faith and trust and attention and focus 
to be on God as their source, not towards some man or towards someone's incredible knowledge. So it's not this idea that I'm supposed to elevate myself so that I can be some sort of celebrity or that people can look at me as some sort of great spiritual individual. He said, no, I, I actually want them to see the power of God so their faith might be in God and not in man. And this is what Paul's trying to help them understand. So they'll stop this thing that we often do where we compare ourselves to other people in order to feel adequate, in order to feel like we're measuring up, in order to feel good enough. And if we play that game, we will look for people who we feel that we're somehow more ahead in this uh, spiritual journey, or we know more scripture than they do. Or man, if you look at our church attendance, man, let me tell you, Right now, we, we definitely got them beat in that category. As if like God were handing out like gold stars, like you're in the second grade, you know, for getting all of your spelling words right and, you know, getting all the math problems correct and you're getting these gold stars. That's how a lot of people look at their relationship with God and that's how they look at their position in the eyes of God and it's solely in their minds based off of what they can do that others maybe aren't doing or things that maybe God would be impressed with. And Paul's saying, listen, I didn't come to you guys to elevate myself or to be that way. I wanted you guys to see the power of God and I wanted you guys to understand that it's not about me being a great speaker or it's not about you know the, the, the certain things that I say and the way that I say it. No, instead it's you guys actually seeing this as God is the one. So it is easy to put your confidence in knowledge. That's so easy to do, to put your confidence in what you know. And so if you're the type of person who puts your confidence in knowledge, you're gonna constantly be seeking more knowledge because that's where your confidence lies. I just need to know more. Whatever area that I'm lacking in, what I'm missing is knowledge, and so you'll seek after knowledge. Some people put their confidence in tenure. Well, because I've been a Christ follower for X amount of years and because I've got this great pedigree and this long list of accomplishments and achievements, people will put their confidence in their tenure and their, accomp their accomplishments or their experience. Well, I've seen this and I've seen that and I've been a part of this and I've been a part of that. And they'll use all of those things as things that they can boast in and they'll compare themselves to other people. And, and, and this is what it causes us to do though. It causes us to live in fear of being inadequate because we've adopted this fear because we think that in order to get off of the sidelines and in order to do something, I have to accomplish something, I have to achieve something, I have to be at a certain level or a certain rank or you know, I have to be like a level 13 Christian instead of like a level five Christian. And we kind of rank these things in order so we can like gain more experience points to rank up in this system that we've created in our minds and it's because fear of inadequacy is driving those pursuits. It's really this internal fear of this self-dependence, this thing that I think I have to do something, I have to achieve this, I have to be the one who ranks up in order to be used by God and until I do that, man, I'm gonna be sitting on the sidelines. I'm not really gonna be engaged, I'm not gonna really be involved because man, I, I really need to be a better version of me. But I want you to know this church that staying in touch and staying aware of our limitations, it actually keeps us dependent upon Christ. I wanna say that again, I want you to get that. Staying in touch and staying aware of our limitations keeps us dependent upon Christ. Because the temptation for the Christian is always this idea of drift right, that we're drifting away. 
uh, from this dependence upon Christ and we're drifting into dependence upon ourselves or our knowledge, our tenure, our experience, all of those things we mentioned earlier. But to keep me focused on Christ, to keep me focused on my need for him, it takes staying in touch. It takes staying aware of my limitations. This is really the definition of humility. The definition of humility is, is, is simply being sober-minded, being aware of my own limitations. Let's jump over to Romans chapter 12, and let's look at where the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome. He talks to them about this exact concept. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what's acceptable, what's perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, listen to this, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually we're members one of another. And we have gifts that differ according to the grace that's given to us. So let us use them. If prophecy, then in proportion to our faith. If service, in serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. And the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So Paul is telling the church to have a different mindset. This is how you have a worshipful servant's heart, servant's attitude, is to use sober judgment and to not think of yourself more highly than you should. He says sober judgment. Can you help me out this morning? What is the opposite of sober? Drunk. What would one be drunk on in this instance that Paul may be telling them to stay sober. They'd be drunk on myself. Drunk on myself. And here's what drunk people do. They make dumb decisions. Drunk people make bad choices. They say stupid things that words just fly out of their mouth without thinking, right? You, you, you don't see them making the best choices. And so when I am drunk on myself, I am not going to be making rational, sober decisions. I'm going to be making very emotionally selfish, charged decisions because my perspective is jaded. I'm not thinking in the mind of Christ that I'm supposed to put on. I am, I am actually thinking in this selfish way that I used to be before I knew Christ. This is why Scripture tells us to put on Christ. This is something like, it, 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 uh, the scripture refers to it almost like this idea of putting on a robe, like put on Christ. You have to make the decision daily to die to yourself and put on Christ because it's easy to get drunk on yourself. It's easy to drift away from this idea of sober judgment. And it's easy for you to look to yourself for the answer for whatever you may be needing. It's easy for us to go, man, I'm really good. I'm really doing better than all these other people. Now you're not thinking with sober judgment. 
And you begin to think, well, I'm a man of God. I'm a woman of God. I can do all these things. And all these other people, they just need to be more like me because I'm the smartest person in the room. And I can see all these things that nobody else can see. And I can discern all these other things because I've been a Christian longer. I've been doing this longer. And all of a sudden, you start rolling out your resume and you start like thinking all of a sudden that you're this really great person who's doing all these things. And it's pride, man. And pride will get in your heart and it will infect your heart. And all of a sudden now my judgment's clouded. I'm saying dumb stuff. And I'm making dumb decisions because it's all about me now. And man, we can drift into that without even realizing it. And this is why Paul, he's telling the church in Corinth, he's telling the church in Rome the same type of idea. Listen, this spiritual act of worship is actually this idea of sacrifice. Present your bodies as living sacrifice. This is denying yourself. This is putting on Christ. This is actually serving one another, using your gifts, not being on the sidelines because you think, oh, I'm too good for that. I've been a Christian a long time. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. And all of a sudden you feel really good. And it causes us that pride will sideline you so fast. Because, man, if you're not thinking with sober judgment, you don't have that renewed mind, and you're not putting on that mind of Christ, and you're not walking with humility and walking aware of your limitations, walking in a great dependence among Christ, and you're looking to yourself, you're setting yourself up for offense. You're setting yourself up to be offended. You're setting yourself up to be disappointed. You're setting yourself up to seat yourself in a position where you withdraw yourself from the things that God actually wants you to do because now what you're doing is you're, you're setting in your pride, in your offense, in your hurt, in your bitterness, you're setting, you're setting a table and all these prerequisites of what other people have to do before you obey God again. Well, once these people do this, then I'll get off the sidelines. Once these people do that because, you know, I know, I know what I'm doing. And we have this arrogancy about us and it's pride Instead of being aware of my own limitations, instead of being humble, instead of being obedient, because that's what humility does. I love what Pastor Barry said earlier in communion in the article that he read where he was talking about this idea of I need to obey regardless of the consequence. Because, man, it's always easy to obey when the consequence is favorable towards us, right? That's what people look for especially in American Christianity. They want to go and look for the formula. We want to find the step-by-step. Like, give me the five steps, the ten steps. Give me the ten keys, right? Those books are super popular. They fly off the shelves in Christian bookstores. The ten keys to success. The ten keys to unlocking favor. All this kind of garbage, right? And when we see that stuff, we're looking for this formula that we can follow in order to get something from God because we think, oh, I'll obey if the outcome is this. Oh, I'll trust, I'll have faith that the outcome is this. Yeah, why wouldn't we, man? Right? Let's follow the formula and get the outcome. You're not really interested in the heart of God. You're interested in getting the thing from God and using God as a pathway. We're actually misusing and abusing God and his word when we do that. Instead, we should obey out of our love for him and our submission to him and our trust in him Man, regardless if the outcome is favorable or not. Because sometimes God may be calling you to obedience and exposes things in your heart that you've been keeping secret and hidden, but he doesn't want to expose those things to harm you or to embarrass you or to cause you to stumble and fall. No, he's wanting to do those things in order to love you and help you to walk in the freedom that God's already bought and paid for through Jesus Christ. But that's hard because there's a cost, right? 
there's a cost. There's always a cost involved. There's always a trade-off. Man, the story's coming back to my mind. I'm, I'm kind of internally debating whether or not I want to share it, but I guess, I guess I'll go ahead since I got this far with it. Um, so um, when my parents initially split up, uh, I was already married. Uh, my wife and I were already married. We already had uh, three kids. They were all little babies. But we used to do this thing where my mama and my sister and my dad would still come to our house for Christmas, and it was just an odd time, as you could imagine. You know, like my parents are freshly divorced, but they're all together because they want to like try to keep the family together in a in a weird way, and they were trying to play nice, and it just created awkward scenarios and situations. And um, my my dad had been struggling with addiction, and he'd been struggling with uh, prescription uh, meds and things like that, and he had lost his job of like 20 years over it, where he was pretty high up, and all he had to do was go through this like rehab thing and he wouldn't do it and so I had a buddy of mine I thought I've got the answer I've got a buddy of mine who come in his name was Steve and Steve had been down this road he was actually like exhales angels he had lost like all this stuff and I thought we're going to do like an intervention right and so like my dad comes in on Christmas and Steve is there and my heart is to like help my dad and so Steve is there, and, and Dad's like, who is this? And I'm like, this is my friend Steve. And Steve just, like, starts rolling out his story to my dad. And he starts telling him all these things, you know, about how his life, you know, was really destroyed and all these things. And Steve was trying to help my dad get into this really great Christ Center program that's similar to, like, what we have in Quad Cities with 180. But he was trying to get him into this great program. And my dad said, well, I have to work. And Steve said, well, what, is, what does that mean? Well, I, have a, I, 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 I just got this new job and I have to work because my dad's value at that time in his life and his identity was wrapped up in work. And, and here we're all sitting around and my jaw is hitting the floor because I can't believe that someone who has lost his marriage, who's going through all these things, the reason I can't go seek help is because I have to work. And I was like, what are you, and I was like, Dad, what, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? Steve's like trying to help you. And he's like, well, brother, you don't understand. Like, I have bills. I have this. I, I, I'm going to have to invest in my retirement. I have, to, I have to work. You see, when we come to a crossroads like this in our lives, where we have a choice to walk down a path of freedom, where we have a choice to walk down a pathway of obedience to where God is going to send us through that refiner's fire, we have to ask ourselves, is the trade-off of what it's going to cost, is it worth it, or is there something else that I have my identity wrapped up in that has my heart? Is there something else going on? And I remember that feeling in that moment and that tension, man. And I, and I thank God that years later, Dad eventually did get in a great program, and, and, and some great things happened in his life during that during the season several years later. But I'll never forget that moment, man, sitting there with him. And I was like, are you really going to give up freedom like, and say, no, I don't want to pursue this pathway as a potential way to find freedom from this thing that's had me bound? Because you have to work. You see, there's going to be things that confront you in your lives. There's going to be crossroads, intersections that you come to. There's going to be times where God reveals things to you. Things in his word, things that he's calling you to. And you can either sit on the sidelines and make excuses, or you can walk in obedience and experience the freedom and the grace that he has to offer and trust that he is enough. But yeah, it's going to require something of you. It's going to require you to give something up. It's going to require a trade-off. 
it's going to require you to change your mindset. This is why Paul said that this is how worship works. You actually present your whole body, your whole self, every part, not just pieces, not just the convenient pieces, not, oh, I'll find freedom another way, not, oh, I'll get back in the game another way, no, I'll get off the sidelines another way, no, what is God dealing with you on now? What is he calling you to now, and what is the step of obedience he's requiring of you now? That's where you have to make the decision, am I all in? Am I really trusting him or am I only partially trusting him? Am I going to be humble? And it's not about me getting it my way right away. And it's not about me just obeying because, man, I want this certain outcome. But I don't want all the pain associated with it. It's like I want to wake up like with muscles and a six-pack, but I don't want the pain that it's going to take to get that, you know. I want to drop 50 pounds, but I don't want the pain that's going to be required to get there. It's kind of that thing. Know that there will be pain involved there, because it's been your flesh that's been in the driver's seat. You've been drunk on yourself. You haven't been sober-minded. And so when you, when, you, when you say, yes, Lord, here I am, I'm going to humble myself before you. I'm going to trust in you. It puts you in the seat of humility. And man, it's, it's going to be a tough road. It's not going to be easy. Jesus never said, come follow me. It's super easy. There's like bunnies that follow us around. And, you know, there's like butterflies that fly everywhere. And, you know, every step Jesus takes, the grass turns a little greener. You know, it's, that's not how it works. Jesus said, come follow me. This is going to be hard on you. And it's actually going to cost you everything. He even told Peter before he ascended into heaven, he said, actually following you, uh, following me, Peter, is going to cost you your life and someone's going to take you down a path you don't want to go, but you're going to do it for my sake. And Peter died for the sake of Christ. You see, in our awareness of inadequacy, we actually, it humbles us and we become a conduit for the power of God. Because inadequacy isn't something to keep us sidelined, hear me this morning, Inadequacy isn't something to keep a sideline, but rather it's something we should embrace as followers of Jesus because he is sufficient. The glory of Jesus is discovered in our inadequacy because he is enough, not me being enough. It's not me in me, the hope of glory. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. Amen? It's not some better version of me that is required or needed. It's a greater dependence upon the sufficiency of Christ and actually a greater acknowledgement of my need for Christ and a greater dependence upon Christ instead of me looking to myself or some version of myself as the answer. Go all the way back to Exodus chapter 4. What? That's right. I know where the Old Testament is. Some of you are like, all Pastor Derek does is preach about Paul and from the New Testament. We're going Old Testament. So, boo on you. All right. No, I love you, whoever said that. Nobody said that. <laughs> this is something. This is my internal dialogue coming out. <laughs> Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Check this out. God's calling Moses, right? Moses raised up in the house of Pharaoh, right? Moses uh, grew up being raised in the house of Pharaoh, and then he gets in a dispute with a uh, Egyptian guard that's beating a fellow Hebrew and ends up killing the guard. And now he's a wanted man. He's been running for his life. He's ostracized both from the Hebrew community and from the Egyptian community because he made the workload harder on the Hebrews because of what he did. And now the Egyptians are also wanting to kill him. So Moses, 
not popular, all right? Living out as a shepherd, he makes himself staff, gets himself a stick he's walking around with, taking care of sheep, gets married, trying to move on with his life. God intervenes and calls him. Check this out, verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Moses answered, after God's calling him, he said, but behold, they're not going to believe me. Obviously, why would they believe him? Why would they believe him if, if God was calling Moses to go talk to Pharaoh on behalf of God and the children of Israel to tell them, let my people go. Let these people go from slavery. These are God's people. And Moses said, why would they listen to me? You're picking the wrong guy. And man, in the next verse, God goes, oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> that was you, wasn't it? My bad. I'll go to somebody else. No, God knew that going into the thing he was telling Moses to do. And isn't it interesting that Moses like reminds God of his inadequacy, reminds God of his situation and his position in the community. Because wouldn't it just make so much more sense to send somebody else? I mean, God, I, I, I've got a bad reputation in town. Maybe some of you think that. I've got a bad reputation among certain people or certain groups. I, I mean, use somebody else. I, I want to move away and just, you know, hit the reset button and start over. But yet, God calls the guy who's got this reputation. They're not going to listen to my voice, for they're going to say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And Moses didn't think anything about it. It wasn't like stick is required to go visit God, you know. <laughs> He's just walking, and this is just something common. And he said, a staff. <laughs> and God said, throw it on the ground. And so Moses throws it on the ground, and what happens? Oh, my gosh, it becomes a serpent. And Moses ran from it, and that makes sense. <laughs> I would have, too. If I was, had my walking stick, and God said, throw it on the ground, and it turns into a snake, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I am gone, Jack. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. Moses has already run from it, so he's already afraid of it. Now you want me to touch it? You want me to grab it by the tail? Uh, and he does. He reaches out his hand, he catches it, and then it becomes a staff again in his hand. And he says, that they may believe that the Lord, the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And so here's the beauty of what just happened in this instance. Moses comes to God to hear God's instruction. Moses immediately says, I'm inadequate. You've got the wrong guy. And God says, I know. That's why I've chosen you. But God, I have all these limitations. And Moses goes on to rattle off a few more and God answers all of those things. But the thing that he asked Moses to assess, he says, what, what, what do you got on you, Moses? What do you have? You, you see, all Moses had was a staff. And God took something that was ordinary, that Moses on his best day could not have done anything with it other than maybe like a little bit of stick fighting, you know. That would, the, the best thing he could have done with it, you know. And he does something with the staff that Moses never could have done on his best day. But it required that Moses release it to God and trust God with his inadequacy. And you see that he even had to trust God to pick it back up. There was trust involved this whole time. But God did something with it. Moses 
could have never done. He took Moses' inadequate stick. He took his inadequate speaking ability. He took his inadequate reputation, and God used it for his glory. Here's the big idea for today. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied and dependent upon him. God is most glorified in us and through us when we are most satisfied and dependent upon him. You see, the enemy wants you to focus on your ability. God wants you to focus on his ability. The enemy has a different strategy with your inadequacies than God does. God still uses our inadequacies. God didn't all of a sudden make Moses adequate and say, all right, Moses, now you can depend on yourself because you're like a, a power ranger, a superhero. You've changed and now you can fly. You know, it's like, no, Moses, like you don't have this ability. This is God doing this. And you better recognize this as God doing this because you could never have done this with this stick. This is what God's doing. And so Moses, when you recognize it's the power of God and God's the one using you, he's using your inadequate speech, your inadequate reputation, your inadequate inanimate object that you have in your hand to do something you could never do. That's the whole point. The enemy wants you to see all of those things as limitations to why you should sit on the sidelines. God wants you to see those things as a greater way to trust him for what he can do. That's the difference it's not, should I, should I all of a sudden stop feeling inadequate because I don't want to give you some self-help pep talk because that's not what this is about. This is about me recognizing, Lord, I am inadequate, but you're not. <laughs> Instead of, I'm inadequate and I should be on the sidelines. No, because it's greater is he that's in me, amen? Not greater is me that is in me. It's greater as he that is in me. So it helps me to recognize my limitations. It keeps me humble and it keeps me dependent. And that's exactly the position of the heart of worship where God wants us to be. That's what we read about in Romans chapter 12. You have a past. You have failures. You have limitations. But you serve a sufficient God. You have a past. You have limitations, you have failures, but you serve a sufficient God who is more than enough. So I wanna ask you this question. Does your imagination exceed your obedience? Because we cannot dream of where God wants to take us to where we're unwilling to trust him every step of the way. It's one thing to have great dreams. It's one thing to have great ideas and concepts about, you know, the Lord. It's great to get everybody jacked up and pumped up about this idea of bigger than Sunday, bigger than Bettendorf, beyond our lifetime. Woo! Let's go plant some churches and save these cities for Jesus. But our dreams are not going to exceed our obedience because you have to obey. It's not just dream and it'll happen. It's dream, trust, trust God and obey, like walk in obedience to what God is calling you to do. That's that step of humility. That's that step of me recognizing that in myself, Lord, I don't have what it takes, but you do and you are in me. And it causes me to all of the sudden, man, I can exhale and I can go, oh, thank you, Lord, because I'd put all this pressure on myself to perform 
I'd put all this pressure on myself. Man, society does this. The society puts pressure on you to try to perform and, and measure up and compare yourself to other people. And God is saying, stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop living under all of this insane pressure. Stop looking and defining yourself by all your limitations because that's not the God that you serve. The God that you serve doesn't have limitations. Scripture says in Ephesians 4, says that he is able to do far above anything that we could ask or think. I want you to think about that. If you were at our prayer event on Wednesday night, I brought this scripture up because I had this thought as we were praying that, man, think of the wildest thing that you could come up with. I mean, the wildest imagination, the wildest thing that you could conceptualize. It could be something completely driven in fantasy. Do you know that making that reality is no, nothing for God? People have thought of some crazy things, man. They've had wild ideas. We're going to send a man to the moon, and now we're talking about sending humans to Mars. Like, that's, whoa, mind-blowing. And God's like, what? That's like nothing. God could do that in an instant. Think about the craziest story you've ever read, the craziest movie you've ever watched, to where after you watch it, you're like, man, that was a wild thing. Like, somebody had a crazy imagination coming up with all these characters and these worlds and these scenarios. That's nothing to God. He's able to do far beyond anything you could ask, think, or imagine. And so he is limitless. And yet we somehow think that this whole thing is dependent upon us? I think we're missing it here. I think we need to get our eyes off of us and get onto the sufficiency of God. Because if God has called us to be a church that's making an impact that is bigger than Sunday and bigger than Bettendorf and beyond our lifetime, he certainly isn't asking us to do it because he thought we were adequate. He didn't pick Moses for the job because Moses had like the best resume, right? Hated by everybody on both sides of the coin, slave and free, murderer, <laughs> um, you know, doesn't speak very well. Yeah, let's pick him, you know. I think he would like have gotten picked last, you know, if it would have been up to our standards. But what does Jesus say about the kingdom value system? The first actually are going to be last, and the, the last are actually going to be first. It's an upside-down value system from the way you and I look at things. God looks at things very, very differently than you and I. Because God is for God, and he's for his glory and because of that, we have to understand that when I'm satisfied in him and I become a conduit for his glory, that is when his power is really manifested in me and through me and all around me. Because now it's not something I can boast about. This is what Paul was trying to tell the Corinthians. I didn't come to you guys with lofty speech, lofty words, some great eloquent thing that I had practiced and got just perfect and just right. Man, it was... It was because I wanted your faith, I wanted your trust to be in God and not in man. Not in what man had accomplished, not what man had done. And so Paul didn't even come to them with his pedigree to try to open up doors for him and say, look at how great I am, look at all the things I've done. And now, introducing Paul, formerly known as Saul. We like him now, he's team Jesus. And here's all the things he's done. Nope, nope. He said, I didn't come to you guys with any of that. I just came to you, man. All I know, Paul said, is Christ and him crucified. And that is enough. 
that is enough. Man, you remember the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph. If you've read that story or maybe you grew up in church, there's this guy named Joseph and he ends up in prison and he didn't do anything wrong, but he just ended up in prison to no fault of his own. And the Pharaoh of that era, he had a bad dream. And Joseph had had a dream before where God actually gave him the interpretation to one of his cellmates. And now Pharaoh has a bad dream and Pharaoh's like, man, I'm troubled over this dream and I don't know what it means because there's like, you know, like cows eating cows. It's weird. And man, I, I, this is bothering me. Like I would be bothered by that too. And, you know, they're looking at what I, this has to mean something. Does anyone, does anyone know anybody who interprets dreams and nobody around Pharaoh could do it? And then all of a sudden his old former cellmate says, hey, I was, when I was in prison, I have a cellmate that he interpreted my dream and it actually came to pass. Well, go get that guy. And that guy was Joseph. So Joseph's in front of Pharaoh now. And Pharaoh said, the first question Pharaoh wants to know to Joseph, Joseph, can you interpret this dream? And I love Joseph's answer. Because you want to know what he says? No. I can't. That's the wrong thing to say, right? Odds are, if you go through all this, you get in the presence of Pharaoh during that era and that time, and you say, no, I can't do this thing that you brought me in front of you to do, you're probably going to die. <laughs> That's like probably like instant guaranteed death. He's all troubled. And he says, can you interpret this dream, Joseph? Joseph says, no, I can't. But God can. Isn't that exactly the position of our hearts and where it needs to be when it comes to our inadequacy? Man, can we do this? No, man, we, we can't. That's where we start. We start with that. That's like the floor, right? I, I can't but God can because it is greater is he that's in me amen because here's the thing BCC we can't change heart in, hearts in these cities you can't change your spouse's heart you can't change your brother or sister's heart your mother father children you can't change their hearts you can't change your co-workers hearts you're not that great I, you can't even drag them to church and get Pastor Derek to change their hearts I'm not that great because I'm not the heart changer I'm the one who plants and waters, and you're the one who plants and waters, and God brings the increase. God's the heart changer. I need to be obedient. I need to trust. I need to do what he's called me to do, but I do it not trusting in myself for the outcome because when something good happens, I give the glory to God, not to myself. Not like, oh, this is the fruit of my labor, and look at what I've done. No, no, no. It's no God, look at what you've done. I'm just the one who's sowing. I'm just the one who's watering. It's up to God for the... For the the increase for the results. So I have to be faithful. I have to be humble. And when good things do happen and I do get the benefit, because you don't always get the benefit. When I get the benefit of seeing a positive outcome that I got to be a part of investing in, sometimes you get to see that. Those moments I think are fewer and far in between because I think there's a lot of things we invest in that we never will see. We don't know about, but it's not the point for me to get to know about it. So I can go, oh man, that warms my heart that I, I did that. I made that person cry. And if there's tears, there's the Holy Spirit. So I want to tell you. <laughs> Isn't that how it goes? Oh man, I said some words and they cried. I prayed for them and they cried. That's great. Sometimes we get to see that. That's a gift. Sometimes we get to hear that person say, yes, Jesus, I'm putting my faith and my trust in you and I, I repent of my sin and I wanna, I wanna live my life dedicated to you. And we get to pray with them in that moment. Sometimes we get to see that and experience that. 
Sometimes we get to be there and we get to baptize someone. And so, wow, man, I was a part of their journey and I'm getting to be a part of baptizing. What a beautiful experience. Sometimes we get to see that fruit. Sometimes we don't. But it's not whether or not I get to see the fruit. It's am I being obedient, right? Am I being obedient? Am I trusting every step of the way? Am I being humble? Am I thinking sober-mindedly? Mm. Am I not coming to someone with, with all my experience, with all of my gifts and all my strength that I've placed in myself, all of my security that I've placed in myself, or am I coming humble, broken? Lord, I'm inadequate, but I'm not going to let that hold me back because you're not. <laughs> I'm not going to let the enemy use my inadequacy to keep me sidelined. I'm going to get in the game. So here's the thing, church. We have to press in to God and to his sufficiency. We have to press into his word. We have to press into prayer. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with his power. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, man, they, they're laboring in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen are actually watching over it in vain because they're thinking they had something to do with it. I'm the one who laid those bricks. I'm the one who watched and is keeping everybody safe. No, 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 unless it's the Lord. We're doing it for self-glorification. John 15 and five, Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branch. You see, he's saying abide in me. And that's how you're gonna bear much fruit is because it's not because of you. It's not because the fruit in your life or the fruit in those around you is so great because of you. No, it's because you're connected to the vine. I'm the vine, you're the branch. And you have to recognize your role. The branch can't try to be the vine. No, 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 I'm, I'm just the branch, but I'm connected to the source. I'm connected to the vine, and the vine is Jesus Christ and the gospel, amen? amen? So here's what we have to do, church. We have to lose ourselves to Christ to find ourselves in Christ. We have to lose ourselves in Christ to find ourselves in Christ. Matthew 10, 39, Jesus said that whoever finds their life, man, they're gonna lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, for the sake of the gospel, man, you, you're actually going to find it. So it's about me denying myself, and we turn to the gospel, and we never stop seeking, we never stop asking, we never stop leaning into Christ, because that's where I find my true value, that's where I find my true identity, that's where I find my true purpose, that's where I find my strength, that's where I find my hope, that's where I find my, my gifts, it's where I find my next opportunity to say yes to impacting eternity and living for his glory. So church, don't fear inadequacy and sit on the sidelines. No, instead of acknowledge it and say yes to taking a step of faith and trusting in Christ's sufficiency. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Maybe you're here in this place today or you're watching online and God is stirring in you, man. Maybe you need to just take some time this morning and you just need to just maybe sit in this room after we dismiss. That's fine. Because maybe God's dealing with your heart. Maybe there's, God's exposed some things and you're at that crossroads and you need to deal with that. Maybe you're a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ and today is the day 
of your salvation. There is no better day for you to give your life to Christ. There is no better moment for you to say yes to Jesus than right now. And so we want to be able to pray with you. We're going to have a prayer team that's going to be right down here at the front in the corners to my right and my left at the end of service. And man, would you let them pray with you? Would you talk to them? We would love to be able to just pray with you. If you're online, would you just shoot a message to the chat moderator? We want to pray with you. We want to talk to you. We want to help you to be able to discover the joy in Christ. Put your faith, your trust in Jesus. If you're the type of person that maybe you came here just burdened with some need today, man, that's why our prayer team is here. Not just for those seeking salvation, but for those who may just be burdened down, just need the love of the church around them. Just to surround them and say, hey man, you're not alone. Let me pray for you. You don't have to tell them all your business. You don't have to tell them all your details. But this is what really prayer does. This is why we want to be a praying church. This is why we have prayer at the end of service. This is why we have prayer during the week. We're just starting a new thing on Monday where from 6 to 9, every Monday, we're going to have prayer at the church from now on. So we've shifted from Thursday like we used to, and now we're going Monday. So if you can pop in at any time, it's just kind of come and go. You, you can certainly do that before work. Pray with us, man. We want to have a regular rhythm of prayer because prayer is saying, I depend on you, Lord. I want to deepen that dependence upon you because I believe that what God is doing in this church and in everyone in here, man, I, I believe that it is something that's going to require us to have a greater dependence upon him. So, Lord, we thank you for this day. And I ask that you would move on the heart of every person here every person watching online, every person out in the lobby, and do what only you can do. We trust you for the results. May you get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.